Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm excited to have Brian Castle on the show. Brian's done a lot. He's the founder of Audience Ops, a done-for-you content marketing service, the creator of Productize, a course to help freelancer and agency owners break free of billable hours, the co-host of the Bootstrap Web Podcast, and just recently sold his web design business. Brian turned his web design skills into a product which allowed him to easily find and sell new clients. By the end of it, he was spending less than three hours a month managing the business, and just six months ago, he closed a deal to sell it. With that success under his belt, he is trying to do it again for content marketing, and today he'll share his plan as well as how your own agency could benefit from productizing. So without further ado, here's Brian. All right, so Brian, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, and so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, you know, I always struggle with this question, uh, but um, let's see, I, I guess today I run a company called Audience Ops, and that's a, uh, that's a content marketing company where we basically offer a done-for-you content marketing service um, from end-to-end for uh, online companies, mostly software like SaaS-type um, companies, but other, other online services and, and, and um companies that are selling to businesses, basically they um, hand off the entire content marketing uh, effort over to us and we handle all of the, um, we'll do like research their customers, we'll write their blog articles and then we actually promote the content as well, um, writing their email newsletters and that sort of thing. So I've been running this company for uh, the last six months or so and before that I ran a company called Restaurant Engine which was um, a website builder for restaurants. And I, uh, I I exited that business um, about six months ago, um, around the time that I started this new one. And um, and then going back a few years, I, I I was a web designer by trade, and I um I, I did I was like a freelance web designer and and grew a small kind of distributed um, web agency for a couple of years there before I um, started venturing more into into doing products. Um, and then the other thing that I do. Uh, these past few years uh, through my personal email newsletter is I've been teaching a lot about um, building productized services and um, and kind of transitioning. If you're a freelancer or a consultant, kind of transitioning into a more productized business, I, I sell a course um, called Productize, and I, and I write a lot about that sort of thing. Um, oh, and, and if I'm not busy enough, I also co-host a podcast called Bootstrap. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes. Um and so you said you, you started out, you, you were doing some freelancing, you had this kind of small distributed team helping you with that. How did you go from that to um, Restaurant Engine? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, for years, I was kind of just doing web design development projects for all sorts of different clients. I was working with like universities, you know, doctors, um, e-commerce stores, you name it, you know, um, kind of a typical web web design shop or web design consultant you know you get so many referrals from all these different people and you can basically do anything so you kind of do it all um and i i had always focused pretty heavily on wordpress 
uh, using that as, as my tool of choice. Um, and so I knew that platform pretty well. And so then what I really wanted to do was, was focus in on one type of customer and build up a product, really build a SaaS, like a web design SaaS. Um, that was the in- initial idea for Restaurant Engine, which was to offer hosted web websites for a particular niche, um, all using WordPress. Um, to stop you there, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, that's it's something that a lot of freelancers and consultants struggle with is is they think that if they niche down, they'll be excluding so many other people. But oftentimes that's not the case. And so what kind of, when did you just figure out that that would be a good idea to, to focus just on restaurants? What kind of drove that decision? Yeah, that's a good question because it, it is so challenging. And I hear that same question a lot too. Um, you know, how do you kind of cut out, if you if you focus on one niche, how do, what about all these other clients that you've been working with? I mean, that's how you make that's how you've been making money. So how do you, how can you make the same, if not more by focusing in on only a single type of client? And, um, I, what I learned about that is, is that by focusing in, um, both on who you're serving and also what you do, like which problem you're actually solving. Once you find that focus of doing that one thing for that one type of customer, then you actually have something to sell. Like you actually have something that you can actively go out and market and and grow an audience around and build a name for yourself as the solution to this particular problem. Whereas if you're doing what I used to do, um, kind of serving anyone and everyone, um, there you you can't really actively market that. Like I I can't say you know next month I want to go out and double the number of clients that I bring in. Like there's no, really no way to do that other than to hope that you get more referrals. But you know there's not a whole lot you can do to to just actively um, increase referrals and, and things like that. So that was basically my my main goal when I started Restaurant Engine was was I want act, I want to actually have a a business or a product that I can actively grow um, from year to year and um, and and I think I did that with with Restaurant Engine. It, it was yeah. Um, no, it seems like it. And so before we go much further, let me just take a step back so I can explain to one in the audience who's not familiar with the term what exactly productized consulting is. Now, a productized service is pretty simple. It's, it's really just a specialized done-for-you solution with a set price and clearly defined scope. So what Brian did at Restaurant Engine is he said, all right, for $199, I will give your restaurant a new website. It'll include a customized design. I'll input all the menus and content, set up and connect your social media profiles, do SEO, Connect your domain. I'll give you the first month of service. Um, another example is WP Curve for seventy nine bucks a month. You get unlimited small jobs done for your WordPress site. So it's really not that complex. It's basically just taking something already to do, packaging up as a done for you solution, giving it a price, and clearly defining the scope and deliverables. So you say, if you give me X amount of dollars, I'll give you these things. All right. Let's get back to your business, Brian. You ran Restaurant Engine from, what was it, about from 2011 to around 2015 when you sold it? Yes. Yep. From the very beginning, was it something that you would consider an an asset? Was it something from day one that you built in a way that you could sell? Um, I I definitely did not necessarily have that goal of selling it at some point when I I first started it, Um, but I definitely did want to build it as a self-sustaining um, entity and, and with a, 
big focus on systems so that it could run itself. And really, my main thinking was, you know, I'm going to start this thing, and over time, I'm going to build it up to a certain point where it completely runs itself thanks to the systems and processes that we have built, and then and then I can kind of remove myself from the business and let it run, and then even start up more and more of those things. Um, but it wasn't until later, and that's essentially what happened. I mean, by the time that I sold it, um, I I did remove myself from from uh, the vast majority of, of things in the business. I was actually spending about three hours or less every month just just managing the day to day stuff in, in restaurant engine. Um, but then you know about you know as we got closer to 2015, I it started to um, make a little bit more sense for me to to seek an exit rather than to just let it run on on autopilot and i i heavily weighed both options i i could have just you know kind of held on to it and let it run but that what i can the decision that i came to is that like restaurant engine and and that audience um is so disconnected from the audience that i've been building where i connect with like entrepreneurs and software companies and you know to it, so there there's really like zero overlap between the restaurant engine audience and, and this other audience. So I kind of wanted to get something that was more, um, you know, build, build something that's a little bit more in line with what I do. And I think that's, that's what I, I'm doing now with, um, with audience ops. Yeah. And so was it, because a lot of people would say, all right, I have this almost semi-passive income source. I spend three hours a month managing it. It gives me a steady income every month. I'm going to let that keep running so that I can be a little riskier with, with my next project. So I know that I won't kind of go to zero right from the start. And so, but so for you, even though it was only three hours a month, was it kind of just taking up mind space that you wanted to get rid of or what, what was it? Yeah, that was definitely a big part of it. Um, and it's, it's hard to explain how significant that actually is because even when you're only spending a couple of hours a month on it, um, and there are many days throughout a month where I literally don't even touch it. Um, it, it is, it does still take up mind space because you're thinking about like, how do you grow this thing? And you, and you have to come up with strategies to how to, how to double growth in the next year, you know? Um, and you could just kind of like let it run, but then, you know, there are more and more competitors coming in and you do want to continue to improve the product and things. And, and I was still actively building things like that, like new initiatives, um, that like new initiatives would go like beyond that three hours a month. Um, so you know, it, it it does kind of break you break your focus away, especially when you're trying to start something else in a in a completely different space. That's something that I've definitely learned a lot this year is that like the more that you can focus on one big goal, um, the more effective you're going to be. Absolutely, because that's the other thing is you don't want to almost take like the the slumlord approach of online business where you just run it into the ground and don't try to grow it and and just leave it alone. So I, I can see why that made sense for you. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, there's also like, I, I get energized when I, when I get um, very passionate about something and, and after, you know, four years or so of, of chugging away on the same thing, it gets a little draining. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so you, you sold it about six months ago. You were already around that time is when you really kind of went full time with, with uh, audience ops. Where did those first clients come from? How did you, get client number one? Uh, yeah, so I think by the time that I started Audience Ops, I was already um, in a pretty good position because I've, I've built up uh, 
not a hu- huge audience, but definitely a, a significant enough one that I basically just announced audience ops to my newsletter. And um, I think I mentioned it on the podcast as well. And through that, um, I had the, f- the first couple of clients. I think, I think three or four signed up within the first 30 days of, uh, of, of making that announcement. And, and, um, within like the first two months, two to three months, I think we had about six or seven clients. Um, and really the whole, the whole first batch of clients in the first couple of months came through my personal network. Some of them I actually know personally, like they're friends. Um, some of them, just kind of tune into my newsletter or podcast and others have come through referrals, uh, from, from people that I know, um, or people that I've met at conferences and things. So, I mean, that's another reminder of why I'm, I feel much more comfortable in, in this business audience ops, because it's so tied into my personal network that, that that is what allowed me to, to get a pretty good jump start on, on getting the first clients in the door. Um, but yeah, I mean, now, now, like right now what I'm working on is, is kind of the next phase of that to go beyond my personal network and to actually just attract clients um, through, through general marketing stuff. Right. And to back up a little bit where I know that you're super process driven. That's a lot of what you talk about. It. I mean, to get to the point where you're only spending three hours a month on a business means you have your systems in place and it's running smoothly but it's probably not like that from day one. So at Audience Ops, you when you bring on your first few customers in the beginning, what was that like establishing the processes that would let it run without you being there every single second? Yeah. Um, with Audience Ops, it was, this is my kind of like a second time around doing this, like building a new business, especially building a productized service business, um, which is very systems and process oriented. Um, so I think I had that at, at my advantage because I, I was able to move much, much faster as I was, as I was building audience apps, just like I, I knew the things that need to get built. Whereas with restaurant engine, it took me like four years to figure all that stuff out. Um, so, and I mean, we didn't necessarily have everything in place on day one in audience apps and we're still building certain things out, but, um, I did, uh, pretty quickly start started growing the team on audience apps. I think I had about three writers starting from day one and now we're a team of eight. And I knew that I would need to start building out processes and using certain tools and things. Um, and, and basically I, I started writing out those, those processes as we served the first few clients. So in, in like the first month or two, I was really writing a lot of procedures um, in real time. Like like, oh, we need to uh, onboard a new client. Okay, well, I guess I have to write the onboarding procedure now. Or we need to publish our first blog article for a client. Okay, we need a, we need a procedure for that. So um, I kind of wrote out all those things in, in real time. And, and, um, and I continue to today, but, but now, now today we're about six months in. And again, I can, run, I can move much faster. So I've already kind of removed myself from the entire service side of the business. So everything from coming up with blog articles uh, topics and drafting articles and we have a copy editor and graphic designer and uh, assistants kind of set up the articles and publish them and, the, and then we do social media promotion all that kind of stuff like I don't I, I don't really handle any of that myself um, my so with this yeah. with this being your main focus what are you day to day what are your what are you working on yeah so I'm, I'm you know I'm, I definitely am working full-time on this business right so I, I work 
um, mostly on sales and marketing and and creating these systems and and refining them um, and making sure all of our systems are running smoothly and that the team is working well together and that there are no hang-ups. Um, I'm also very much in, in touch with our clients and, and taking their feedback. I mean, this is still a new business. So even in the first six months, we've, we've had some feedback from clients that um, so that allowed me to find ways to improve the service or, or tweak the way that we do certain things. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly working on that kind of stuff and giving, giving the team what they need to, to work really efficiently together. Okay, and I think that that ties back into what you were mentioning before is that those those first customers came from your personal network, but you're looking to grow beyond that. Uh, you're looking to find a way to reach out and find customers. What what are your plans for growing? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. Um, so there are a few things that we're doing. Number one, we we actually finally launched our own blog. <laughs> Believe it or not, Audience Apps didn't have its own. Content marketing. The whole the whole cobbler's kids have no shoes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It wasn't until maybe like the fifth month or so that we started publishing articles on our own blog. So that, that's number one, and like building up our um, our email list, um, and so that's starting to grow, and, and that's kind of up and running now, uh, where we're, we're publishing two new articles a month uh, a week, um, and you know, and we're talking to other software founders and talking about like how to use, not how to be a content marketer, but how to use content marketing in your company. That's kind of the angle of, of, of all the stuff that we teach through the blog. Um, other things that we're doing, I've, I've experimented with kind of cold email outreach and that that's been fairly successful for us. Um, we'll, we'll begin to do some webinars in the next couple of months for audience ops. Uh, but the other thing that I'm really excited about that we're starting to do now is actually release our own tools. Um, and the first one is actually being released next week. It's a WordPress plugin um, called Content Upgrades, and basically that it's a tool to to add email opt-ins, uh, like specific unique email opt-ins on individual blog posts. Um, so that's just like a tool that we've been using internally for our clients, and now we're releasing it as a standalone product. Um, and so I think how will how will you get that in front of people what like if once you release it what are the, the steps to kind of make sure people find it yeah so I, i've already been building up a an early access email list for that and that's it, this is a product from audience ops so it's, it's like part of the audience ops list and everything um next week i'll be doing a live webinar to kind of open up well i'm going to teach about how to grow an email list um and that'll also be the day that the early access opens up for the plugin um so like and and I think over the next couple of months into next year, we'll be releasing probably three or four more of these uh, very focused, simple little plug-in tools that we're using to help run a content marketing system. And then these tools are, are if others want to use, you know, set up their own kind of systems. Um, and so I think that'll be another way that we generate traffic and, and potential leads for the for the audience app service. So Are you worried at all about the releasing some of the tools that you guys use internally, are you worried about that sort of cannibalizing some of your customers? Um, I'm not so worried about that. I've always been a, a pretty big um, proponent of teach everything that you're doing. That's always what I've done. And and even, um, if, you know, develop the byproducts. I mean, we are going to be selling these tools. They're not going to be free. Um, so these will be 
other revenue generating products for restaurant engine. Um, but the other thing is that they, I think that they'll serve a different segment of the audience. So our, our done for you clients are companies with higher budgets and they, they need, or they, they want and need someone to kind of take all this content marketing stuff completely off of their plates and, and have it completely done for them. Um, and, and I think people using the plugin without the audience app service are more in the, in the mindset of, you know, doing it themselves, doing it in house. Um, you know, they don't necessarily need to outsource it. So I think we're serving a different segment there. Um, okay. So I could see it, how it could even potentially feed into them becoming customers of you. If they use your tools to be, to be more successful with their own content marketing. Yeah, exactly. If they grow to a point where they want to root themselves, they can say, hey, these audience ops guys know what they're doing. Why don't I talk to them? Why don't I just have them handle all of it? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, for example, what this first plugin does, Content Upgrades, is it allows you to give away a piece of bonus content on, on a specific article. So if we if we write an article about, you know, how to, um, how, how to create a, a great podcast episode, right? Uh, the article might teach you the theory behind that, but then we'll be offering a, an email opt-in that says, hey, you know, um, enter your email and we'll send you our 10-point checklist that we run through for every podcast episode that we do. Um, and it's something that you can actually go use right now. And so that's what the plugin helps you to do is set up the email opt-in and, and the email delivery and, and get that person onto your list. But what we do in, in the audience app service is we actually create the article and we create and we create the bonus content too, which takes you know a, a lot of extra work and time to to research and set up and everything. So, um, you know, for for those clients who 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 want to outsource the creative aspect of it, that's that's what the service is for. Yeah, because that's actually something at Hubstaff where we we have a team of writers. We're always putting content out. We're always kind of brainstorming ideas. But even then, we're we're looking right now at we're kind of revamping our own strategy internally. And we're looking at creating some of those, that bonus content, some of the the lead magnets that are most relevant to one specific article or to a handful of articles. And you're right, that is time-consuming. And even with our large team, it's something that hasn't put to the backbone just because it, it takes time to write. And so I can see the appeal of what you're offering. Yeah, it is. It really is time consuming. And, um, and I mean, really, it's a it's like a full time job. Um, and that's, you know, when we talk about the, the done for you service, that's what our clients are looking at. Like they're, they're looking at either hiring a full time employee to do all this stuff or 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 like hiring a freelancer. But with audience ops, we we, we try to put a value proposition together that's that's better than both of those things, because you're not getting just one person here. You're getting a whole team and you're getting a whole process. Um, you know, we have probably five different people who touch every single article between the, the writer and the copy editor and the project manager. And then we have a graphic designer and, and you're kind of getting all that, um, you know, for less than what you'd be paying a full-time employee on, on this stuff. Right. And so when you were building out that team of kind of the writer, the editor, the project manager, all those people, how did you make sure they would be a good fit? What What are the things you look for when you're hiring somebody? Uh, yeah, so um, I hired for different roles 
uh, I found people from different places, you know, like writers I'd find in like kind of writer specific communities and, and places. Um, what were some of those places? Uh, for writers, I, I've used um, inbound.org, um, the problogger.net job board. Um, and I've also announced it to my network as well. I'll say, you know, we're, we're hiring and, and that that's brought in some applicants. Um, you know, I've also used Upwork, not for writers, but for assistants and for graphic designers and developers. Um, but the main thing that I look for in everybody that I work with, and this goes back years, um, I always look for the, the best communicators, you know, the, the ones who really ask a lot of good questions and and they make a point to go above and beyond to like acknowledge all the things that, that I'm sending to them and and to like clarify any points of confusion like there are a lot of people who just don't ask questions and they and they think that they can figure it out on their own or or they're they're kind of careless in their communication and they and if i'm sending them five points or five questions for them they might only come back with me with with, with four or something like that and i mean these are little things but they really um make a big difference um so i i, I think i really value communication i actually value it more than um than talent or skill, you know. I mean, I do work. I, I do seek out people who fit the right skill set and, and are talented. But um, I, I think uh, if if you're a better communicator, you're going to be more successful anyway because you'll you'll be able to kind of learn the process more quickly. I think that's really true, especially because uh, for you, especially like you're so good at kind of building processes out and, and establishing all of that. And you can you can for most things as long as there's a base level of skill that the freelancer has, you can teach them how to do things your way. You can help them improve. You can work with them to get what they want. But if they don't communicate, that's a much harder problem to solve. And I think it's even more important for people who are new to this, for people who are new to hiring remote workers, because they are not going to be the best at creating specs about building these processes. So they need someone who can kind of raise their hand and say, hey. I have a few questions about this. Um, I think you're missing some steps here. You need to get some feedback. You need someone who can communicate that. So I think that's a really good point. I mean, it's tough, you know, and, and for certain roles, I've hired a couple of people to uh, and, and had them on trial for a week or two. And then I, I kind of select the best one because I've also found that the interview process and even just looking at their application or their profile or whatever it, that those always look so shiny and and some people are like really great interviewers but then but then once you start working with them it's a completely different story um and and i i mean i'm always actually wrong about it like if, when i when i hire like three different people to put on trial i usually have like some gut sense of who i think is probably going to be the best person out of these three and i'm almost almost always wrong like it always it, it almost turns out it always turns out to be you know someone else who is who's just a, a totally better communicator gives me good status updates and gets the job done and you know I mean that literally just happened to us last week. That's what I've always read in that hiring someone for a temporary like trial period is the best way to judge how they actually work. What is your trial process like for someone for a new hire uh, or for a new potential? Yeah, hire? It, it depends on the role. Um, so I've done this recently in two roles. Uh, I hired a developer and I hired a um, a virtual assistant in the Philippines. So, and, and the developer, so I, I, I had hired the developer a couple of months ago to start working, to start building this content upgrades plugin that we're releasing soon. Um, 
the trial and I, so I hired three developers for, for trials and I basically um, put together specs for a very s- simplified starter version of the plugin. Like I, I had already specced out what the whole plugin will include and I basically gave them all the first 10% of that. Um, and and then I, I kind of judged on a number of things, including their communication and, and did they follow the spec and, and is the is the thing functional? And, um, and then I gave them feedback, like how, you know, I, I need you to change certain things. And then I wanted to see how they deal with that. Um, and then ultimately the, you know, one was a clear far and away winner in, in, in all those categories. Um, and then the other one recently, I, I hired a, a virtual assistant to help out with some, um, marketing tasks. And like the first one was like building a list of, of contacts. And I, I kind of gave this, I had two people trial for that. Um, and I kind of gave them the same exact task, build the same exact list. Um, and, and let's see how you do with communication and execution. You have, you talked about your course briefly, productize. You teach people how to kind of do this in their own business. Who are your typical clients for that? Like, who is your ideal customer there? Yeah, it, that's been a pretty, it's, it's been kind of across the board, but the, I'd say in the majority of, of my audience and the people who join the course, um, there are a lot of web designers and developers. Um, there are some, like, copywriters and, uh, and people helping out in, like, social media and that sort of thing. Um, and then we, and then there's a whole list of, of other industries and, and things that I've seen. So get some accountants coming through, uh, fitness training professionals, um, teachers, coaches, uh, let's see. Um, and so what, you know, some people, uh, kind of consult within certain industries, like we get some real estate professionals and they help real estate agents use a certain system. Um, we see that sort of thing a lot. Um, and so with that, it yeah. sounds like there's people from kind of all over the board in freelancing. Are there freelancers or agencies that you think aren't a good fit for productizing? I think that there are certain situations like um, the the thing with with productized services is that is that you can go so many different directions with it, and you can use certain aspects of of productized services and not use others and be successful. Um, you know, for example, like one would be. Uh, if, if you want, like, whether or not you want to grow a team, right? And, and I, I get some students who are, who say, you know, I, I'm really interested in productized services, but I really don't want to become a manager and I don't want to grow even beyond myself. Like, I don't even want to bring on one person. Um, and, and what I say to them is, is that's perfectly fine because you can design a productized service or productized consulting if you're a solo person, um, to be, you know, you, you can design it to allow you to focus on the things that you personally do best. Um, you know, like there, there are people who have very successful productized services and they're, and they're just a solo, um, solo person. Um, and you know, it, it's really a question of, of where you want to go with it. Um, and there, there are other people who, who are really set on, on only building a software product and they don't want to do any, person-to-person uh, manual service, 
And, um, and in that case, you know, you, you'd, you'd probably not look at productized services and just build a software product. But as I've taught in the course, and I recently spoke at MicroConf about this, this very topic is you can actually combine software with a productized service. And that's what I've always done, um, where we use the software to kind of power the productized service underneath. And, and what I've found is that adding a service component makes it easier to sell and bring bring customers on board but then having a software component um helps you be more efficient and and kind of keep costs down and that sort of thing so and so if you if you were talking to someone who runs say just a a small but growing digital agency of maybe five to ten people they're growing they're primarily doing growing through word of mouth what would the advantage be to them or to any agency, really, of productized consulting? Why would they want to shift away from the standard approach of consulting towards this? Yeah, I, I think, um, again, it, it, by focusing in on one one problem with one solution with one ideal customer, that, that allows you to really kind of step on the gas and market the thing and, and have something to sell. Whereas if you're an ag- agency and you're kind of just a generalist, um, it's hard to get in front of the right audiences because you don't really know who your audience is. Um, and so what I've seen happen with a lot of consultancies and agencies is they start by incorporating one productized service offering and that, and they still do all their custom work for, for all their other clients, but they have, but they introduce this new productized offer as, um, you know, it's just designed for one segment of the people that they that they've been working with, or they or they offer it as kind of a a first a first sell, and then you can kind of upsell them on on a fully custom job. Um, and and I've seen you know consultancies and agencies uh, do very well with that. You know, the productized service can also be as a way to get people kind of into your ecosystem, and then for some. Agencies aren't really looking to go to the software route. They can they can upsell to the fully kind of bespoke solution like that, and kind of like you're saying is capture different segments of the market. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think you know another big aspect of this is that the the productized service model is, in my view, the the path of least resistance and, and to to bridge that that gap from billing completely by the hour, working with anyone and everyone to being a product company like the gap between those two things is is just massive and and every whether you're a solo freelancer or you're an agency that's probably the the biggest challenge that you'll ever face is how to make that that huge transition of of becoming a product company and and what i found is going the productized service route rather than just trying to build a software tool or, or a SaaS or something you know from the ground up as, as an agency or as a freelancer, like that's, that's a much harder thing to do because, um, it's, it's a, it's a very long and slow, painful process to, to get just a, a few customers to pay $49 a month. Um, you know, let alone thousands in order to, to make the thing become financially viable. Um, and you know, with minimum viable products and all that, like that can take months to, to even validate. Whereas a productized service, you can literally get the offer out the door, I've seen some people do it in, in as fast as a weekend. You know, I put I put audience ops together, the the simple landing page for it, um, within two weeks, and and I launched that, and then I had paying customers within a within the first month, um, 
Yeah, because yeah, with all the with all the talk about the for SAS kind of the the long slow ramp of of death, it's with product test consulting. It doesn't seem like it has it because you you're able to charge more because of the, the done for you aspect. So it does seem like you can you can kind of jumpstart the the growth a bit there. Yeah, exactly. And it's not it, that's not to say that you'll have a completely fully functioning business within two weeks, but you can certainly have paying customers, people who have paid you within two weeks and people who are starting to get the results within within two weeks. That's that's certainly possible. And then over time you start to refine it and build out your systems and, and make things more efficient. Um, all the while you're, 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 you're bringing in revenue and you're developing a, an audience and, and a name for yourself as you learn more about this problem that you're actively solving. And then within a, a matter of months, you can start to transition again from that, to software, and that's exactly what I'm doing here with Audience Ops, and I've seen other people do it too. Where, you know, we started with with the service, and we've been building out that part of it, and now we're about six months in, and we're releasing our first software tool. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think offering a productized service can have huge benefits for agencies, but it's a real departure from the typical way of doing business. So after this quick break for a word from our sponsor, Brian's going to share his tips for how to get started. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Now, Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or on the back of napkins or whatever else you're using and start getting the insights into how your team is actually spending their time that only screenshots and in-depth reports can give you. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without all the crazy fees. Where they really find the true value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with a project management tool to see what tasks are taking up their team's time. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I do want to warn you, though, there's a good chance once you see this data, you're going to be sick when you realize how little time is spent actually delivering the project itself. But you can't set up the procedures to make your agency more efficient if you're just guessing where time is being spent. So give Hubstaff a try so you can stop guessing and start streamlining your agency. Head over to hubstaff.com today and sign up for a free, no credit card required, 14-day trial and get your agency back on track. Now, let's get back to Brian. And, uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, for, for someone, say for me, for example, if there's anyone who hasn't launched a productized service before, who doesn't have that experience creating the process documents, creating the procedures for everything, I'm, like in my head, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wow, like, it's, it'd be great to get clients, customers that early, but how do you not get overwhelmed in the very beginning? How do you? Is there a period of time where you say, like, "All right, I'm going to take on a few clients, figure everything out, and kind of put things on pause until then"? Oh yeah, and that's exactly what I did with Audience Apps actually. So I, I, I announced it early on. Had a couple of of clients come in in the first month. A couple more come in the second month, and I think by the third month. I actually shut the doors for new clients and, and, um, and there was a probably like a two month period there between months like three and four where I, I stopped taking on new clients just to focus on serving the first batch and to get the team in place and to get our basic first version of our systems and processes in place and make sure that nothing falls through the cracks and, and to keep a, a high level of quality. Um, and then once I, I kind of, had all that stuff nailed down, then by the fifth month or so, um, I felt ready to to start opening the doors again and, and bring on more clients, and that's that's what we've been doing the last couple of months. 
And, and so uh, I know we, we've touched a lot about the the role of software in, in kind of what I would call like the second phase of, of audience ops is, is software um, and growing through that. Do you have, where where do you see the long-term uh, development of, so- of audience ops going? Um, yeah, I, I think the software tools are definitely one part of it. Uh, we're definitely not going to get, get rid of, it's not the kind of thing where we're going to phase out the service side just to focus on software. Um, the way that I see it is really three, um, like a three pronged approach. The, the first one has been the done for you service. And that's basically what I've been working on this year in 2015. And that's, that's getting pretty dialed in now and that'll, that'll continue to grow a bit. Um, and then the next phase would be to, to release these software plugins which are really small kind of focused plug-in tools. And, and I, I'd expect that we'll release about four, four of these over the next year. Um, and there will be that side of the business. And the other thing that I want to do next year is probably write some sort of book or a course. Uh, I'm leaning towards a book. Um, also, I mean, I'll, I'll write it, but it'll come from audience ops, and it'll, and it'll be about how to build a content marketing operation um, in your company, and essentially, like like I said, giving away exactly what we do at Audience Ops, kind of giving away the recipe, um, and just to kind of teach the the methods that that we've learned actually work. Um, and I mean that would that would be a standalone product in itself, that book, but it would also be a lead generator for the other things, and and just to help kind of grow the the overall footprint. I mean, at the end of the day, I I see Audience Ops as a content marketing company, and and will be um, helping other companies, especially online companies, um, do do content marketing better and more efficiently. Whether we're doing it for you, or you're using the tools that we've that we've designed for this, or we're teaching you how to do it, you know that's essentially how I see audience ops evolving. Okay, and so, you, what you're seeing at the end is, is you see audience ops as a company that creates content for other companies, especially online ones. How? What makes you different than some of the competition that does similar offers a similar service? Yeah, I, I think it's really all about positioning, and, and I, the way that I see it is like we're kind of positioned as an alternative to hiring a a freelancer, like a freelance writer. You know, most people say, or, or most founders, once once they've once the founder the founders have decided, okay, it's time for us to stop writing all the blog posts. Um, or I'm just not cut out to write blog posts. I want to focus on the product. I've got other things to do. I don't have time. Once they already make that decision, then they're faced with a couple of options. Like they can go out and hire a freelance writer, or they can, you know, put a full-time person on this in-house. If they go to a, a freelance writer, what often happens is they they're, they're either not going to be happy with with the quality of, of the output or they are happy with it, but then they realize that there are all these other aspects of the process that, that are not covered by a freelance writer. So um, whether it's coming up with the right topics, doing the research on their customers to find out what actually matters to them and, and how you should best educate them, um, and then writing and drafting the article, doing the copy editing, um, publishing it, writing a, a unique email newsletter, social media promotion, um, it, other social media promotion, you know, going on to like Quora and answering questions or running, you know, promoted posts on Facebook. These are all things that, that just hiring a freelance writer, you're, you're not going to cover all those bases. 
So, um, you know, we've put this system all in place where we've got like a whole production line. We're doing all those promotion things um, and we do it in a very systematic way. So I, I think our our clients value, I, I think they value it in two ways. I mean, number one, they know how, how valuable content marketing is, especially if you're running a business online and you want to grow your email list. Um, so they're benefiting in that way, like growing organic traffic, growing their email list, growing leads for their business. But then the other thing is they can be completely hands off and have this kind of content engine running and see it running, but then they can kind of focus their time on their product and, and things. Whereas I think when they're hiring a freelancer or something, they, they spend a lot of time managing that freelancer and it kind of doesn't solve the whole problem. Right. It seems like they look at the alternative as hiring a freelance writer and compared to you guys, a lot of businesses won't think about the extra management, the extra planning that you offer as well because you, it's not like you just hire a writer and they're going to immediately know what to write. They're going to handle know what to do on social media, know what to do everywhere. So I see the that's where a lot of the consulting kind of aspect of this comes in. But so if uh, when a client comes to you, What's the onboarding process like for that so that you can customize things towards their needs? Yeah, and this is something that we've kind of refined and reworked quite a bit. Um, we're still refining it now, but the, w- the way that it looks now is, um, uh, so I usually do the initial sales call consultation with, with new leads who come into Audience Ops, and I actually enjoy that a lot because I just get to talk to other business owners, you know, um, which I do anyway. So um, So that's kind of fun for me. And then, and then once they become a client, um, they go into a kickoff call, which is a call with our project manager and and the lead writer on the, that, that we assign to that account. Um, and they do about 45 minutes to an hour, and they'll record that call. And, and so we're kind of picking the brain of the client, of the founder of the company, and we want to learn everything that they've learned about their customers so far. Um, and and then we take that information, and we, we might do one or two other calls with their clients, like they, they can introduce us to their customers and we'll interview them um, to get even more insight into who they are and, and what they need to learn in order to be successful as it relates to the space where where their, their product is. Um, and then we build an editorial calendar. Uh, we come up with a number of topics and just general themes that we'll be publishing topics on. We'll present that to the client and get their feedback on, on the certain direction and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and then that, that kind of takes us into the production process where we'll start to write and draft the first article and, um, and get them, get them going. And, and we do send the client a a preview email about a week before every article goes live. So they have about a week to, um, give us their feedback on, you know, if, if they want any edits or want us to mention certain things that we missed, um, you know, we kind of have the, the feedback process where the first couple of couple of weeks, couple of posts, we start to learn more about what the client likes to see, but also what the customer, you know, what has the, the biggest impact for, for attracting customers and engagement and all that. Um, and then, you know, after the first month or two, we, we often see that fall into a pretty good groove after the writers and, and our team gets to, gets to know that audience pretty well. Um, yeah, and I think from... To, not to cite right there, but I think from an outsider's perspective, hearing that, especially if you're just having your normal consultant right now, you have a typical agency, you don't offer any productized service, I think hearing your explanation will probably ease them a bit because it doesn't seem 
all that different than if you were just a consultant helping someone with their content marketing. Yeah. You basically are just packaging it up in a kind of easily digestible, easy to uh, position way, but you're still talking, you're still doing road mapping, you're, you're still figuring out their problems and solving it, customize each person. Oh, absolutely. And um, every every client, um, we, you know, we are producing completely unique topics and unique articles for every client and their, and their unique audience and, and customer base. Um, but we do it in a very streamlined and focused way. Every article that we do kind of has the same components in terms of like, Length, you know, typically we're writing articles around 1500 words. Every article comes with a custom graphic. Every article comes with a, the, the content upgrade email opt in that we create. Um, every article we'll, we'll write and send the email newsletter. So, so we're doing all, all the same things over and over in our production process, but the creative work is unique. And especially the, the research that we do up front in the first month or two, um, we have a process for doing that research, but the the outcome of that research is is unique, and it's um, and that's another question that I get a lot about productized services is is like how do you how do you productize something when it's like creative or analytical work you know that only I as the creative professional can do? Well, you you can get talented, skilled people in place. I mean, I've I've hired writers who are better writers than me, and and for a reason so that they can ask better questions and write better articles than I would, you know. Um, and so, and we all, and, and every article goes to like a copy editor and he's just a fantastic copy editor. Like he'll spot all sorts of errors that I, I would never, or that like one freelancer wouldn't get themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, a, I can see a lot of pushback, especially from creative types where they say you productizing it, it's, it's almost commoditizing what I offer. But it doesn't. It, it, it focuses on the, the deliverables, and the creative process is still there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and again, it kind of comes back to what what your overall goals are with your business. I mean, if you're a self-employed consultant or freelancer, and and your goal is to work on completely different projects for completely different clients, um, and kind of work project to project in that way. There's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, I used to do that as a freelance web designer and, and I made a comfortable enough living, you know, doing that. But I found that I, I couldn't really grow from year to year, you know. So so that's when I, I decided that I wanted to get into a more systematic, um, a more predictable model. Um, and, and and then that allows me to grow the, the team and, and grow sales and, and kind of, you know, get into um, bigger and, 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 and solve bigger challenges too. Like that's the other thing that I've learned over the years is like I used to solve problems on a, on like a website by website basis for, for certain clients. But then as I started to grow and grow a team, now I'm, now I'm solving different problems. Now I'm solving, you know, how to write a really efficient process or, um, or how to develop a marketing plan that reaches the exact right people that I want to reach. You know, they're, they're kind of like different problems as as you become a, a business owner and go into different phases of that. Right, and it seems like I know what you're saying with you. You had a good living as a designer before. You had a, you were doing fine, but with the growth aspect, it's 
you're still selling your time. And there's only so much time you can sell. And at a certain point, realistically, your hourly rate can only go so high within normal realms. But And so is productizing a good way to kind of divorce yourself from selling time? Yeah, I, absolutely, because you're really selling a solution to a problem. And once you identify what that problem is, your job then is, is really just to find more and more people who have that exact problem. And, and that's what makes the service kind of sell itself, you know. Um, right, because that also comes, boils down to like what the essence of sales really is, is you, have a, you find a problem that you can solve, then go find more people with that problem. Exactly. And if I go back to what I was doing as a freelance web designer, I, what I used to do was I would get a referral from someone and then I would have a conversation with them and, you know, to figure out, okay, what do you need or what are you looking for? What type of business do you have? And every single business had different needs. Like one person would need an e-commerce website. Another one would need a membership website. Another one just needs a blog, you know? Um, and, and every single time I'd have to write a whole long proposal outlining a different solution to a different problem every single time. Um, and, and that, that became draining after a while and it, and it's, it became very difficult to, to scale that up and, and to grow, um, because you're, 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 you're doing different things and, and you can't develop a, any sort of process if you're doing everything in a different way every time. Right. And do you find that, I guess in my mind, when you're going in as a designer to diagnose someone's issues, there's less kind of clarity. You might have to do more convincing, whereas with a productized service, the client knows roughly what they're going to get. They, they might be they might not know exactly what each article is going to say, but, but they know they'll get a blog article every week. They know they'll have the newsletter. They know that the content upgrades. Like it, it seems like it's more of a the deliverables are almost pre-negotiated. They already know what they're going to get, so it'll be less convincing. That's exactly it. Yeah, I, I actually like that term, pre-negotiating, because that's exactly <laughs> what's going on there. Because I, yeah, I've talked about how having a productized service is actually easier to sell and easier to buy if you're a client, you know, compared to selling your time as a freelancer or compared to a, a client hiring a freelancer to do a certain thing. Because when you're hiring a freelancer, if you're the client and you, and you have to hire a a freelance writer or hire a freelance web designer or something, um, you have to figure out, you know, all right, what, what are all the aspects of this that, that go into it? What needs to get done? How many hours is that going to take? How many, how many days and, or how many weeks can you turn that around? What's the total cost going to be? What are the unexpected costs going to be? What, where are the risks? You know, you, you, you kind of have to figure all these things out. Whereas when you're buying a productized service, you know, you're buying from a company who says, look, we've identified this particular problem and it's for this particular type of client. And here's, here's what's included. This is the, the best possible solution that we've designed to this particular problem. And this is the price tag. And th these are, this is the schedule of deliverables. Either, either you are this type of client and you have this problem or, or you don't. And if you don't, then you're probably not really going to even be on the website in the first place. Um, and if you, you know, it just makes it easier for all parties. Yeah, and I think that's something that the typical consultant, agency owner, whatever, they overlook is they say, if I focus on one segment or on one thing, I'm going to exclude some of the people. But, but they don't think about the risk that a client has going into an engagement. 
They they don't know what it's going to cost. They don't know specifically what they're going to get. And even if, say, if you're just a content marketing agency, they might say, well, I need content for this. Like, have you written other content for B2B SaaS companies? Have you written content for this, for that? There's going to be a lot of qualification that they'll need to, to go through when you're having a fully customized, bespoke solution. But with a productized service, you're right, there's... They know up front what they're going to get, and for the client, I think that removes a ton of risk that will make it easier for them to want to deal with you. Yeah, and you know, it also aligns the incentives too. You know, the other thing that I that I ran into a lot back when I was doing uh, websites, you know, project living kind of project to project. What would happen is you get into these negotiations up front, but whether it's before or after you send the proposal, you you discuss like, okay, all right, you know, you need all these things, and here's we're, we're going to kind of put them all into like line items and, and here's what it all amounts to or, or, or putting like hours estimates on, on all these things. And then the client sees that bottom line number and says, oh, that's that's way too high. Can we cut out certain things from from the scope or or can we push back on, you know, then you get kind of in a, into a negotiation where once you start cutting things out from the scope, the client isn't getting everything that they that they actually need or you know, or the the freelancer is suggesting or recommending things that the client doesn't necessarily need just to get the hours estimates up, or you know, so, like the align the alignment of, of incentives just it doesn't totally make sense in a lot of cases there. So, you know, whereas with a productized service, it's like, look, this is the solution to the to the problem. You you know what needs to be done. We know what needs to be done. Um, we've we, and and we've made our internal uh, operation focused around solving this problem. So we've we found ways to be even more efficient than a general consultant or agency would be. Either like we're using our own software, or since we've since our people only do this, you know, we can do it faster, better, higher quality. Um, you know, it, it kind of all, all the incentives are are in line to make all those things work. Yeah, and it also forces the, the client to look at it in terms of value. You, they're not saying, oh, this is going to take this much time. Uh, I'll figure out your hourly rate. Is that really fair? This and that. They're saying, all right, you're as the, the consultant, you're saying, this is what I charge for this package. So the client is thinking, is are these deliverables worth this much money? It, it makes, I feel like, it removes a lot of those negotiations. It removes a lot of those, those justifications, the changing scope. And basically, change the whole project. And so, I think it there's huge advantages there for any real consultant or agency to look at that. For the average listener, the average who's probably they're either a freelancer, they're a consultant, or they're running in a smaller agency that's growing. What would be one parting advice if you could give them if they're interested in pursuing the prioritizing their services? Um, I would I would start by finding ways to become more focused and you, you won't necessarily find this overnight, but if you, if you just start to get your head around that concept of finding focus in, in what you do or what your company does, um, certain things will start to reveal themselves. And, and by, by focus, I, I basically mean two things focusing in number one on who you should be serving, like who is your most ideal customer and that could be a certain industry or it could be a certain um, size of company or, you know, people who, who 
who do a certain thing as a living, you know, something like that. Um, you know, f- focus in on who you're, who you, you work best with and, and who makes the most sense for your company. And then the other thing would be to focus in on solving one problem. And in the past, I, I've taught this as like, just do one thing, but I, I don't necessarily mean just do one task. I, it can, you could do a number of tasks as long as they're all designed to solve one particular problem. Uh, and then even to solve that problem in the same way, like, Again, with websites, you can build a website in 10, 20 different, different ways using 20 different tools. But if you just focus on one, like if you just focus on using WordPress, um, and one set of plugins or, or something like that, it, it makes it more efficient and more predictable. Yeah. No, and that's awesome advice because I think it's something that's so scary to the average agency owner or consultant is that focusing on one thing excludes so many other people. Uh, what about, I want to do this, I want to do that. But I think you've given, the listeners a, a ton to think about oh, why that might not be the case. So uh, thanks for that. And before we say goodbyes, where can our listeners uh, find more about you, find more about your products, your services, and all of that? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, my company that we've been talking about is Audience Ops. Um, that's where we do all the content marketing stuff. And my personal site is castjam.com, and that's where my personal newsletter is. And right on the homepage, there's actually like a free um, email crash course uh, on productizing your services. If, if you're interested in that, you can you can check that out. And I am uh, I'm Cast Jam on Twitter as well. All right, awesome, Brian. Thanks so much for coming on. We got a, I got a ton out of it. I'm sure everyone else will as well. So thanks again. Yeah, th- thanks for having me on, Andy. All right, see ya. That was an awesome talk. Even if you don't think productizing is a good fit for your agency, there is still a lot to learn from the way productization forces you to identify a problem that you can solve. People hate to feel like they are excluding the majority of their market, especially if they are struggling to get clients as it is. But Brian made a great point. If you don't solve a specific problem for a specific type of business, how are you going to find more businesses to sell to? Even if you can find people who could use your service, how are you going to stand out from the thousands of other designers, developers, or whatever? Narrowing down to a niche like this is a touchy subject, so I'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please head over to iTunes and share what you got out of it in a review. That's all we have for this week. Tune in next week for another interview to help you build and grow your agency. Talk to you then.